Do you remember the day you found the passion that fuels your life? Or maybe the first date you had with your partner? Or how about the day your child graduated college? There was love, joy, and the hopefulness of change. Over the years, many alumni have expressed that the Our Community Listens course is life-changing in a similar way. And we know it has been infectious for many, something we know you can't just keep to yourself. So take a chance to share that experience with those in your circle by telling them about upcoming classes. Even if they live outside of a regional learning hub, we now offer a virtual OCL course. When we all learn to listen empathetically, we can be part of a caring community. Visit our website at chapmancommunities.org or follow the link in the description of this podcast. Welcome to the Listen First podcast, brought to you by the Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities. Our vision and mission is to strengthen relationships and build stronger communities through listening, leadership, care, and service to create a truly human connection. Learn and partner with us as we imagine a society in which people care about each other and listen first. Hello and welcome to the Listen First podcast. My name is Adam Salgat. With me today, my friend Katie Trotter, Senior Director of Content and Coaching. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me today. In our last podcast, we covered what the DISC assessment is, you know, like the history of it, how it got started. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, go back to the podcast just before this one to, to get that history, to get some understanding. Today, we're going to cover the tendencies S and C. But before we get there, I want to give a couple of reminders. I'm going to ask you actually to give a couple of reminders uh, about us talking about these two tendencies. One thing that I think is important for us to not lose sight of is that 95% of the population is actually made up of some blend or at least more than one behavioral tendency. So as we go through talking about S and C today, we're really talking about them in their purest form. So it wouldn't be uncommon if as someone's listening, there will be parts of what we talk about with the S that makes sense or resonates and parts with the C that might resonate or make sense or connect with. It's really just talked about in this focused way for us to better understand the differences. That is a good reminder because we're all, we're all kind of a mix of everything around us and everyone around us and all of our experiences. So different personalities, different tendencies can come out in different ways. So let's step into high S tendencies or steadiness. Let's talk about that. Yeah, and the S tendency, Adam, I'd like, always like to start off with the unique needs of the different tendencies. So the S tendency actually has the need to serve a higher purpose. They want to know how what they're doing is feeding into something bigger than themselves. I would imagine a lot of S tendencies could be found in the nonprofit world. I'm sure it's something that throughout your career, maybe you've run across. Is that true? Yeah, I would say that that's a pretty common theme. Also, when you're looking at people who are volunteering, serving on boards, sometimes it has this natural pull for people who are wanting to see that their work is feeding into something different. That does make a lot of sense. What else about the S tendencies? What's some of their team strengths? On a team, they tend to be known for being patient and very results-oriented. 
they like to keep kind of some harmony. So they tend to be very in tune to what's happening on the team, right? They might notice that there's a person who normally speaks up who's not. They're aware of workloads seem to be a little bit off balance. So they do a great job of kind of keeping tabs on everyone to see how the team is doing. So they have a little bit of that intuitiveness, um, the ability to read people that some would say, uh, kind of read a room. Yeah, and it's interesting. We talked about how the D and the I tendency are known for being a little bit more active. So now today, as we're talking about the S and C tendency, we flip to this more reserved side. So the S tendency is going to have a thoughtfulness in general, where they're going to be wanting to make sure that things are being thought through, that there's a lot of good reasons, but they still tend to be focused more on the people aspect first, as opposed to the task. So they, they are one that would be results oriented, as we stated, but like you said there, the results might take a backseat to the people first. They may check in with their people a bit before they check in with where they're at on their work. Yeah, absolutely. What about any overextensions? Like what, what do we see with someone with a high S tendency when maybe they're in that stressful situation? So with high S tendencies, when they're under stress, they can become possessive. And I know that that word sometimes can mean different things to different people. So I like to just give a couple of examples of how that might show up. Under stress, an S tendency person might have the inclination to become possessive of their thoughts and feelings. So the more stressed someone with high S tendencies gets, the less likely it is that they're going to speak up on their own accord about what they're thinking and feeling. The other way that the S tendency can sometimes show possessiveness is over the people or tasks that are closest to them. So the S tendency can take on task projects. I just want to do it myself when they're overextended. And they're really closest people in their span of care. They might really try to hold on to tightly. It's interesting. I think about my parents sometimes, and you said something in there about uh, wanting to do the task themselves. And I know my father was never clinically diagnosed with any type of obsessive compulsive, but there's elements of his personality or his tendencies that come into play when it comes to, when it comes to that. For example, we used to burn firewood as a kid and he'd get planks of wood that we would cut up and he'd have them on the wagon and he'd unload them himself. And he would count how many planks of wood it was like he needed to do that. Yeah. And, and I asked him one time, why did he do that? And he said, well, for one, it keeps my mind busy. And he liked that. And then for two, he had an idea of whether or not he was getting about as many as he got the last time. Cause they don't, they kind of just dump it. Right. So they don't, they don't really give you an exact amount and it's not weighed or anything like that. So it was his way of doing it. But the other element there that he was a little, not obsessive, but doing it, taking the task on and being possessive of it for him was, I believe he wanted to make sure it was done the right way or in the very least done what he believed to be the right way, his way. And so at times I think that as an overextension caused him to not necessarily be much of a teacher. Like there's elements of things that I did not learn until I was a little older and in then doing them myself when maybe the opportunity wasn't given to me. Now, I don't want to talk negative of my father. There's many, many great qualities, but that's always something that I kind of realized as I got a little older, why I didn't learn certain things because he he wanted to keep that possessiveness to to this. And when I think about his personality or his tendency 
S would make a lot of sense because he is a team guy, but he also, he wanted to provide and he wanted to make sure that we were as steady as possible. So there weren't a lot of risks taken in our home. He never took a lot of risks. Like, you know, he was not an adventure seeker. I guess you could say he's, he's not an adventure seeker. And so there's elements of that, that I find interesting when I think about the, the dynamics of my dad. Adam, I think you hit on so many things that we talk about with the S tendency because you hit on that need for stability and that steadiness. And the fact that just because under stress, sometimes S tendencies can pull in and want to take things on on their own, that in general, they do great with that team environment, which what you were speaking to. Yep. Yep. He definitely would when there, when the opportunity arose and, you know, he, he, he was a great father in that way. Um, so it's just interesting kind of looking back and having more, more knowledge as an adult and thinking about what we, what you go through as a child and, and learning a little bit more about where your parents might've been coming from and understanding it better now. Yeah. I think after having gone through some additional training on extended disc, it has definitely shifted how I revisit my childhood memories. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I can imagine that. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about how an S tendency likes to be communicated with. Adam, there are so many different ways that we could head with that particular item because it reminded me when you made that comment about your dad about not necessarily taking additional risk. You know, when we were talking about communicating in our previous podcast, the high D tendency wants to seek out that personal challenge. They want to take on the risk. And so when we use that sports analogy about the D tendency player in that end play, right? They want to be the one taking the shot. They want that weight on their shoulders. When the S tendency, if we're going back to that theme of our sports analogy, when they have that last shot and that is riding on their shoulders, when you're communicating with that S tendency, you want to reduce the perceived risk. So as opposed to you got this, this is the game winning shot opportunity. When you're talking with the S tendency, it's more along the lines of you've done this a thousand times before. This is like every shot that you've taken, right? Regrounding them in that tradition, reducing the risk. So I think that also applies when you're looking at the work environment, right? When we're making a change to a process, when we're rolling out a new program, when you have someone with highest tendencies who has to give a big presentation, right? Reminding them that it's going to be okay no matter what, however it turns out, but also that it's, they already know it. They've got it. You know, all of that type of encouragement can be helpful. You said a word in there, tradition, that makes a lot of sense. And I think when I think of S tendencies, uh, tradition, is, I'm guessing, is a high value for them often. Um, so applying that to work and using that word, I think, is an interesting concept. And, it, and I think it's a, it's a good thought, depending on the person you're speaking with, that they may connect with the idea of like saying, instead of you know, implying you've done this a thousand times, maybe say, this is a tradition. You've traditionally handled these types of requests. So I believe you can get through it because I think about my wife a little bit when she's stressed about work. And I think I'm, and I'm kind of in my head going, you've done this before you've done it before. Now she, I, I know she has, and she gets there. We've talked about that in different podcasts, the ability to allow her to process a little longer than, than myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets there and she realizes it and she knows, but in that initial moment, there's definitely that stress of change or something that's different or a new added pressure 
um, which might be a student in her case. Absolutely. I think reminding people about that tradition that they have and that consistency that they've shown can settle in that tendency. Yeah. And the other thing that I want to pull out from what you just shared, Adam, was that needing time to process. Mm -hmm. Right. I have a lot of IS tendencies and sometimes I feel like I need to wear the T-shirt that just says needs time to process. So people <laughs> are aware that it's not that I'm not going to respond. I just need a little bit of time. And so when we talk about ways to communicate with the highest tendency, if you announce something in a staff meeting and you want an answer right away, mm -hmm. that can be a really big challenge for the more reserved sides of the tendencies. So sometimes if you're communicating with the highest, it's either, can you give them the information up front, yeah. like beforehand, and then let them know that you want their thoughts and feedback. And if you can't, because it's real life and that doesn't always work, if you have to drop something in a meeting or in a conversation, it's really beneficial to then do personal follow-up with the person, to go back to say, now that you've had some time to think about it, just kind of wanted to check in and see where you're at. Great. That's awesome. Let's cover some strengths and limitations of the S tendency. I know we've already kind of done it in the way we've been speaking, but I want to go through our list just so people have the opportunity to hear it because we've done it on the prior two tendencies as well. Yeah. So our S tendency tends to be known for being dependable and we've touched on this already, but our results oriented, they are seen as being loyal and trustworthy and in general can come across as being good listeners patient and empathetic. And I think a lot of that comes from that desire of the S to keep the harmony on the team and to make sure that people are okay. So a lot of those strengths align with that. Got it. Limitations would include? So our S tendencies, because of the need to think through all of the details and have time to process and make sure everybody's taken care of and okay, we can be seen as taking a long time to adjust to change. So sometimes I like to use the analogy that maybe your D and I tendencies are like a speedboat with change. They see an island, they see an island, they see an island, and they're adjusting quickly. Whereas our reserve tendencies, the S and C, you could think of them more like a barge with change. So they're gathering the information that they need, they're thinking about it, they're processing as they're turning the barge. And then when they are headed in a direction, they are going to get there with a lot of power, but it can take a little bit longer for them to make the turn. What I really love about that analogy and that visualization in my head is thinking about the two boats physically, not only the pace of which you just described, but the ability for each of them to carry knowledge or to carry yes. information. Now, it isn't to say that you can't pack a lot on a speedboat to carry that knowledge, but when you think about that barge along the way, they're collecting the data. They're looking at it in a certain way that now they're loading that barge ship up with all of these stats potentially, which we're going to talk about, I think, in the C tendency a little more. But uh, stats or information, just tidbits that they need to, maybe it's questions that they have that they're now getting answered. And therefore, it's kind of all collecting on that barge as they move from island to island. Yes, I love that, right? If the speedboat's like, here's this great new program or great new initiative, then the S tendencies contribution is often what are the processes that we need in place to support the people? What are the trainings that need to be provided? How do we roll out this new messaging to people to make sure they're supported as they move forward? And I think a sign of a really healthy team, an organization, is when the people on the barges are thankful for the people on the speedboats and their ability to drive things forward and have big visions. And then when people on the speedboats take the time 
to recognize and celebrate and acknowledge the important work that the barges are doing because they're both needed. But if you can have a better understanding of the why and where those actions are coming from, I think it can really go a long way. Yep, and it's kind of cool to think about it again in the visual of a speedboat helping clear the way. Like they're they're clearing the path. I love that. In a way, I mean, they're not physically going to be able to do it, but they're they're like a scout ship. Yes. Know? Cool. So, anything else you want to add about the S tendency? The one other overextension with the S tendency that we often talk about is the fact that we can be known to hold a grudge. And I know that when I first went through the class and heard that, I had a really hard time with that concept because I felt like there have been a lot of things in my life that have happened that I, I feel like I've done a lot of forgiving on. And I remember being in class one time and someone with the highest tendency said, it's not that I don't forgive. It's that even years later, when I think about it, I still feel the same emotion with the same intensity. So that grudge can be holding on to emotion intensity long after an event has occurred. So you could think of that as sometimes being a challenge when it's sometime that you've been hurt or offended or sad. But at the same time, I can think back on vacations or memories from 8, 10, 12 years ago, and I can still feel the joy or the laughter or the happiness with that same intensity of the time that I was actually in that moment. It's such a cool reminder. And I've heard that before about the S tendency. And it's, it's such an interesting way to think about it. Because like you said, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they haven't forgiven. It's just that the emotions for them are almost almost just like in the moment, even though it's yeah. been years potentially, right? Yeah, absolutely. I like your reminder about it being potentially uh, tough feelings to go through, but also potentially joyful feelings that get brought up. So yeah. that's pretty cool. All right, let's move on to our high C tendencies, our conscientious tendency. And the psychological need of the high C tendency is for perfection, which means that on a team, they tend to be really strong in being accurate and intuitive. And one of the things with the C tendency is when they're looking at this perfection, it's not just they expect everyone else to be perfect. They expect themselves to hit every high standard or higher than what they hold for everyone else. That's an interesting, if we go back to the sports analogy again, you, you probably have a lot of team captains in that kind of space who, depending on the style of their leadership, may put a bit of pressure on their teammates, but also it's probably more about themselves, sending the example and being perfect, perfect on the ice or perfect on the field, whatever it might be. Yeah, and as you convert that into kind of that work environment, one of the skill sets and gifts that the person with C tendency can have is that any situation or any process or program, they tend to be able to see how it could be better. Interesting. Yeah, so that it's analytical. It is very analytical, right? So whereas the S tendency tends to be focused on people first and then task, people with high C tendency tend to see the task first and then they can turn and tend to the people. What types of job positions or roles might this type of tendency fall into? Well, if it were me, I would really want to look for some high C tendencies in my accountant, maybe a heart surgeon, anyone who's doing these high pressure situations that requires a lot of attention to detail and you want it done really, really well. I got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell me a little bit about how a C tendency might be, might prefer to be communicated with. 
So with our C tendencies, it's helpful to have a lot of data and information. So as you are bringing up a topic or discussing it, they're really going to want the details and to know that you've thought through your decisions or your questions or whatever it is that you're discussing. So for example, if you go into a staff meeting and you announce a change, you might want to be prepared for why are we going to do that? What made us decide that's the right change? What evidence do we have to support making that decision, right? There's a lot of questions. So if you can proactively come in and have all of that information prepared or already presented, it can go a long way. And so I'm guessing if you were to lead with how this is going to impact the people, depending on, of course, like we mentioned, 95% of people are not just one tendency. So, but if you were to lead that conversation about change with how it's impacting the people you serve or the people in the organization, they, they may have a tendency to, to tune out a little bit, all depending if they're not getting the data up front. Yeah, right. So these vague statements or vague details could be challenging, right? So if we're like, it's going to be really good for the team, that's a vague statement that might not be as meaningful for a high C tendency as it might be for some tendencies that are focused on how are people going to do? Right. So if there's evidence, if there are numbers, if there are data, like any of that can be really helpful. And you're absolutely right. Like we're all scanning conversations for things that are important to us. And for a high C tendency, that evidence is really important. Right. Being able to back it up. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the overextensions of a C tendency when they're overextended, when they're in a stressful situation. So sometimes because of this need for data and information, you might see people with high C tendencies under stress have a hard time making a decision or thinking outside the box because they're really aware of boundaries and procedures and methods. And when they can't move forward with making a decision, we term that analysis paralysis. Yeah. Like where we feel like if we just had a little bit more research or a little bit more information, we could move forward. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I never really thought about analysis paralysis in this tendency, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And if you can imagine, if you were to try to think of things that would put someone with the high C tendency under stress, it's when you have leaders who are like, you know what, let's just wing it or we'll build it as we fly. Right. For some of us, that's really exciting for a high C tendency. That's not so much a good motivator. Right. Which may cause them to almost check out make it feel like they're not really contributing and and but in respect to trying to move forward it's not that they don't want to maybe they just feel like they don't know how because they haven't they don't really see it yeah and i think one of the one of the great ways to engage people with a c tendency when you find yourself in that build it as we fly kind of moment because that isn't always a choice it's often a great way to go to people with high c tendencies and say we need your eye for detail. Like, what are we missing? What do we need to build? Where are the areas that might not be functioning the way that they should be? Because you're engaging that attention to detail, high expectation for quality, and it can be a really great way to make sure that everything is covered. Let's step through some of the direct strengths and limitations of the C tendency, just so we make sure we, we cover them. I love this phrase, Adam, but we talk about the high C tendency as being the anchor of reality. <laughs> and I actually had a great example of this that I didn't even realize that's what was happening early, early on in my career before I even knew anything about this. 
but I'm pretty sure I was paired with somebody on a huge volunteer project who had high C tendencies. And we had a huge meeting. We were trying to figure out how to get 100 volunteers to be at this event. And I had what I thought was this brilliant idea. So I walk into the meeting. I give my huge visionary, excited you know, idea. It's going to be 100 college students all in their uniforms, out in the fields. The photos are going to be amazing. And I sat down. And this coworker of mine with high C tendencies responded with, we don't have enough waivers. How would you even get them out to the field? Have you thought about, right? All of these question after question pointing out how my idea was just an idea, right? It couldn't happen. It wasn't a possibility. And I think that's the part with the high C tendencies that's been really helpful for me is that they can get excited about possibilities, but it's hard for a C tendency to be excited about a big idea if the idea can't actually happen. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, they, they, they're going to look at it in that reality space of like, okay, what's XYZ? What's our tasks? Um, what's the detail, as we've mentioned? And I would assume once they start to get those answers, question, like answers to those questions, most of the time they probably, their energy might start to pick up. But I would imagine if that's their main behavioral tendency, the initial reaction is a little bit like uh, <laughs> negative negative Nancy or poo-poo or all those kinds of terms potentially, but we want to be careful in that space because they may have really valid points. Absolutely. And you nailed it, Adam, like the terminology that we come up with in our heads when somebody is questioning our idea or telling us why it's not possible, we can get in that negative space quickly. Um, you know, you've heard those, some of the phrases that you mentioned, but if we can start flipping the lens and looking at as that person is trying to figure out can this happen? Is it possible? So I can build the best system possible to make it happen. That's a whole different way of interacting and engaging. Yeah. I had a really quick personal story because my wife and I were talking about her ability to continue working out once school starts. And she said something about, you know, uh, our babysitter staying later and, and certain things. And I started, you know, running through scenarios in my head and talking those out loud. And she immediately kind of felt like I was, you know, saying this can't happen and it's not going to happen. And and I was really just running my thought process out loud. And in the end, I said to her, I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to be negative or like say this can't happen. What I, all I was doing was talking through it. So I understand how you took it that way. But for me, I was just trying to figure it out. Right. I was trying to get the details down to, to say, yes, we'll, we'll figure it out. But I was doing it all out loud, which yeah. maybe, <laughs> rained on her parade a little bit. Yeah. And Adam, we could do a whole nother podcast just on style flexing and how to, you know, choose when and when not to use some of those behaviors. Right. But I think that important piece is this idea that it's how people with C tendencies process is to go through those lists of questions. It's almost like this internal checklist that they need to get through to feel like they fully wrap their arms around what's being talked about. Absolutely. Any other strengths you'd like to share? I think it probably aligns with what we've already talked about, Adam, but I like to just reiterate the fact that the people with high C tendencies have a really great ability to have high attention to detail. So that's another great strength that they bring to life and to teams and all of that. So it's something that if you're aware of that strength, you could probably utilize that in some great spaces. I tend to think about like the first thing that comes to mind is a, a nutritionist feel like a nutritionist in that space being able to pay attention to the detail of 
Well, depending on what their yeah. what their role is, I know a couple that work in the, the health industry or at hospitals or with the elderly, and the ability to pay attention to that perfection of making sure you get what you need in your food, I think would come and in, come into play as a potential benefit if they were a high C tendency. They're, they're not going to do too willy nilly about <laughs> what <laughs> what's on the plate, right? Absolutely, Adam, I can't imagine willy-nilly being in any descriptor word of somebody with high C tendencies. <laughs> no, and I don't know how many people even use the term willy-nilly, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that up to the audience. To think I'm going to start again now. Yeah, <laughs> It's not a super common. Uh, we've touched on a little bit of these limitations that are listed here for uh, the C tendency. One of them, we mentioned analysis by paralysis. They can be bound by procedures and methods. They like they like to follow a certain path, or they they like to have a, a plan in place. Um, will you touch on that last one too? Yeah, sometimes they can prefer to not verbalize their feelings, and they would rather give in than to argue. All right, mm-hmm. and again, we're talking about this in under stress and overextension, and it's interesting. We had. Um, Again, in class, talking with participants with high C tendency, I think the one that really hit home to me was when a gentleman shared, I will give in in the moment, but I quit a little bit more on you each time. So it's an interesting perspective, right? This idea of they might be complying with the thing that's being asked or the decision that the organization is making, but internally, there might be a whole lot more going on. And so just like with the S tendency, right? The S and C are both more reserved. You might as a leader need to proactively seek out their thoughts and opinions on where they're at with everything to get a a clear picture. So as we wrap up the podcast today, talking about the S and the C tendency, why don't we quickly go over their needs and fears again, just as a quick reminder. The high S tendency has a need to serve a higher purpose, to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And the main fear is a loss of stability. Whereas for a C tendency, the psychological need is for perfection. And their main fear is a criticism of their work. Because they strive for that perfection. I remember when my wife came back from finishing the class, she mentioned uh, a story about, or, or an analogy, I should say, an analogy about these tendencies all taking a road trip because it really connected with her and thinking about her family a little bit. Yeah. Why don't you share that uh, that analogy with us about the disc road trip? (laughs) I would love to, because it's kind of a fun way to to remember some of the differences. So a D, I, S, and C go on a road trip. The D tendency says, get in the car, it's time to go, I'm driving. They're telling and it's about the task. The I says, Woohoo! Shotgun. I made an awesome playlist. You guys are going to love it. Right. So they are telling, but it tends to be about the experience and they're active and fast paced. We joke sometimes that the S tendency might not get in the car until someone actually invites them into the car. And when they climb in the back seat, they're thoughtful. So they're asking things like, do you have enough leg room? Is the temperature okay? Do you have snacks? Because they probably pack some. And then the C tendency gets in the car and asks thoughtful questions like, did you remember to get gas before we get into the city? Have you pre-printed the parking pass that we'll need? Do you have your tickets? So they're asking those questions, but focused more on the task. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. When you think about just that mix of people and the people in your life, I'm sure that you've been around, whether it's coworkers or family, 
uh, and just to think about what role they might play in that car ride and where they want to be, or where they not where they want to be, but where their tendencies may lead them to be. Yeah, I think most people hear that analogy and either think of someone they would love to road trip with or someone they would never want to road trip with. That's, that's <laughs> a good point too. Katie, any final thoughts as we you know complete these two podcasts that talk about the disc tendencies? I think for me, one of the things that's been the most eye-opening or helpful for learning more about the disc is this awareness that everyone, regardless of their tendency, brings such different and unique strengths to a team, to a family, to a community, and that the better we are able to understand what their needs are, what they're afraid of, how they like to be communicated with, it is amazing to me how much closer you can be in relationships with people who previously might have been like a mystery to you or really annoyed you. So for me, I think the DISC is this tool to better appreciate and connect with people around me. So those are really good reminders about how we can utilize them to our benefit just to take the opportunity to get to know people around us. As we continue through this series of podcasts, next up, we're going to spend a little bit of time about style flexing. Style flexing is really just temporarily adjusting some of these natural behaviors just at key moments when it's needed to help us better communicate with people around us. So I started to say this is one of my favorites, but I realized I'd probably end up saying that for every podcast topic we do. So I'm going to refrain. <laughs> we'll just put that as a tagline. One, of, Katie, one of Katie's favorites. <laughs> Coming up on today's episode, one of Katie's favorites. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Katie, for being a part of today's podcast. And uh, we look forward to learning more. Thank you for having me, Adam.